On this episode of AppTalk, Jason heads to South Africa. We discuss the crash of Lion Air Flight 610. Brandon Buzz, senior social media analyst with the Greater Orlando Airport Authority, joins us to discuss social media use by airports and the fun conversation that is airport Twitter. And Captain Ken Hoke is back to get sloppy. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik in the United States, here with Jason Rabinowitz in... South Africa. Hello. Hello, Jason. Welcome. I'm glad that we could make this work or are attempting to make it work now. Yeah, it's taken a phone, an iPad, a dongle or two, and the worst Wi-Fi I've ever had anywhere in the world, but it seems to be glued together nicely. So we will talk fast as things are working now. Yeah, yeah it might not last. <laughs> Your journey to South Africa was a bit interesting. Yeah. So uh, best laid plans don't always work out entirely as you would hope, but took British Airways from New York JFK down to Johannesburg. And British Airways has this lovely early morning flight out of uh, a couple northeastern cities, I think we talked about this, that gets you to the late night connection bank out of Heathrow, except there was a nor'easter impacting the northeast the day we were supposed to fly out. So we decided to fly out the night before, which ended up giving us about 12 hours to roam around like zombies, very tired in London, and then make our connection down to Johannesburg on British Airways, which was uh, 747, one of their older unrefurbished ones, unfortunately, connecting to an A380, which was nice. It had its issues, but it, we got here on time, on schedule, which was always nice. So had some issues along the way, but now I'm actually in Cape Town and we flew Mango, a little 737-800 from the little airport north of Johannesburg, Lanseria or something like that, HLA, down to Cape Town. And that was a nice little Nice little treat, a new airline and a couple new airports for me. How was the Mango flight? Was it, you know, anything special, anything not special? It was exceptionally average. Because I know you were looking forward to flying them just to see what it was like. It was exceptionally average. It was just your 737 with actually pretty decent legroom, to be honest. Everything is buy on board, like Ryanair or any other low cost carrier these days. You want water, you got to pay. You want a stack, you got to pay. Unfortunately, the little sandwich I bought, like a, a mozzarella and pesto sandwich, was just not good at all. But all of their buy on board stuff is really inexpensive, which is nice. So it may not be good, but I didn't pay a lot to have it. Well, that's, I mean, I guess the best you can say about yeah. not good food. Yeah, but it's a 737. You know, you've seen one, you've seen them all for the most part. But it was 10 minutes early. The airports were great. It was Can't really ask for much more on an hour, 50-minute flight. No, not at all. So you're in Cape Town now, and then, then where do you go from there? Cape Town, and on Thursday night, head back up to... What's it called? Heathrow, and then connecting a couple hours later back to JFK. And uh, another person in our tour group is unknowingly flying June on the way back to Paris to get to Toronto. June. June, yeah. I had the, the pleasure of explaining to her the other day that although she is booked on Delta, she will only be flying KLM, Air France, and June without ever actually flying Delta. It was all very confusing to her. 
See, I've always wondered about that when people book tickets, you know, under uh, co-chair or something like that. And, you know, the kind of people that don't fly a lot and they see, you know, a, a Delta flight number or an American flight number, but then, you know, they end up on KLM and Air France. I always wonder, like, how many of those people don't make their flight? Oh, it's got to be a non-insignificant number. Like, the tour company booked it all for her, so she had no real hand in it. And I know June has been having all sorts of issues with the Cape Town route recently with canceled flights and Air France mainline subbing in a 777. But she actually had a few intra-Africa flights that we were not on. I, I know she went to Victoria Falls. And she didn't even know what airline she was booked on. And she asked the tour guide, what do I do? And they go, well, just go counter to counter, give them your passport, and they'll tell you if you're in their system or not. Start with British Airways, since they have that little... Just go counter to counter. So they they have that little Calm Air operation, and sure enough, she was booked on BA slash Calm Air, and off she went. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, you go through, like, four or five different ones, they're like, sorry, no. Sorry, no, try the next counter over. Hey, hey, Julia, do you have have this person's itinerary? Oh, yeah, we got it over here. Let's go. She knew the time, just not which airline, but all the airlines fly at the same time. Right, right. Oh, that would be terrible. Yeah, not the way I operate. I need to know the airline, the the type, the airports. I don't I don't know how you can be booked like that and not have any idea what airline you're even flying. No, I went through that with my in-laws a couple of weeks ago. They flew from Chicago to Munich and then connected onwards to I think Basel. And they were, you know, all on a United code share flight. So they, they obviously flew United Metal down to Munich and then they connected and they're like, "We, we don't know what airline. Well, I'm like, there's only a few, so let's find out what it was. And then we got them all squared away on Lufthansa, but it was just, how do you say Speaking of Lufthansa, this is how screw-ups happen, like what I had with Seth Miller last year, where they had a duplicate name passenger on board because they didn't know where they were actually going. They just handed their passport to, to Lufthansa and it spit out someone else's ticket while well, they were supposed to go to Frankfurt, but they were on the Munich flight. It happens. I mean, Munich, Frankfurt, close enough, right? Sure. It didn't cause a three-hour delay or anything. No, no, not at all. No, no. Well, safe travels on the way back. Thank and you. we'll discuss, hopefully, nothing about the rest of your trip in the next episode. Yeah, that'd be hopefully good. Hopefully, it goes without delay and without any adventure. So, the big story that we want to spend quite a bit of time on in this episode of the podcast is the crash of Lion Air Flight 610. Lots of news coming out this week after the fact with some recovery of the flight data recorder and some information from Boeing today. There's a lot to cover, so we'll do our best to make sense of what we've got at the moment. Last week, a Boeing 737 MAX 8 crashed shortly after takeoff from Jakarta, Lion Air Flight 610. And in the process of looking at the flight data, there was some indications of, Jason, how would you term this? Erratic flight path? Yeah, erratic and unstable. Yeah, in the airspeed indications as it was reported and also the altitude and ground speed as as was recorded in the ADSB data. So shortly after takeoff, the aircraft descended rather steeply and then climbed up to about 5,000 feet. And then once it was over the sea, again, experienced a steep descent that it did not recover from. So the aircraft was found in the sea shortly after. This occurred on the 
the 29th of October. Later in the, the week, the flight data recorder was recovered. They're still looking as of Wednesday, the 7th of November, they're still looking for the cockpit voice recorder that has not yet been recovered. Yesterday, on the 6th of November, Boeing issued a an update to the flight crew operations manual, which is the book of all procedures for flying the aircraft. And the Federal Aviation Administration today had a statement on that. Boeing has released a flight crew operations manual bulletin regarding the potential for erroneous angle of attack input on 737 MAX aircraft. The FAA plans to mandate the flight crew operations manual bulletin by issuing an airworthiness directive. Uh, The FAA continues to work closely with Boeing and the investigative team for the Lion Air accident. And the FAA has alerted domestic carriers and, and any may have authority over 737 MAX outside the US. So let's unpack that a little bit. So we've already gone rather quickly from there was a broken speed sensor on this aircraft and and then the flights leading up to it to from that and why would that result in a tragedy like this to there may be an issue with the aircraft, either the hardware or the software behind it where this at faulty angle of attack sensor triggers all sorts of other faulty indications and also really uh, messes around with the rudder trim on the aircraft and created what seemed to be quite a, a hazardous situation for this crew that they were just not able to overcome. The stabilizer trim. Right, stabilizer trim. So the bulletin for the operations manual, the subject is uncommanded nose down stabilizer trim due to erroneous angle of attack during manual flight only. So there's a lot of qualifying in the subject of the bulletin, but it definitely points to a concern in the Lion Air crash that this was something that contributed, not necessarily caused the crash, which is you know one of the things in, in every time we talk about an incident, an accident, a crash of any kind, we always talk about how there, there's never just one thing. So at this point, the one of the most helpful things would be the the recovery of the cockpit voice recorder because that would give us an indication of what the pilots were doing about anything that was coming their way as far as warnings and and notices and things like that so at this point we have the data recorder and we know the data obviously that was being displayed to the pilots on board this aircraft we know all the information that was the vital systems of the aircraft, but we don't know at this point how the pilots were reacting to that because this is probably not a situation that they were super prepared for because it's just not something you would expect on this type of, on a brand new aircraft, I guess. Uh, Just the cascading issues that we've seen before, I guess, kind of with uh, Air France 447 where it was a simple issue, but it led to a cascading number of of prompts of erroneous errors that led to the crew just being overwhelmed and confused. Right. And that the cockpit voice recorder would certainly go a long way to helping the investigation kind of decide what was happening in on the flight deck and and where things were were going wrong and and what the crew is doing a couple of things i just wanted to to get back to w- with the bulletin from boeing and why the faa is important here is that the bulletin from boeing is a reiteration of the existing procedures for the the runaway stabilizer non-normal checklist so when something's going wrong when this particular process occurs and the angle of attack sensors 
are causing an issue like this with the with the nose down result there's a way to to stop that that Boeing has listed in, in the past and it has been an existing procedure and and so Boeing's reiterating that this is an existing procedure that that should be followed when these things happen the FAA is involved because the bulletin doesn't have authoritative force Boeing can recommend this they can make this part of their standard procedures but the FAA by issuing an airworthiness directive can mandate that and becomes mandatory of all operators covered by any FAA airworthiness directive so that's something that that the FAA said Look, this is you know important enough that we're going to do this with an airworthiness directive. Yeah, so we still have obviously quite a long time before any sort of uh, final investigation report is put out, and hopefully they find the cockpit voice recorder sooner rather than later. But yeah, this was uh, not something anyone expected to see out of a, a seven three seven Max, a, a brand new aircraft that was only delivered, I believe, in. August of this past year, and this is pretty tragic. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and it's something that I, I think certainly a full investigation is underway, and, and hopefully that the root cause will be found. And, and we've mentioned this three or four times now, but the cockpit voice recorder is, is found, uh, recovered, and usable, I guess, is the, the most important thing. I mean, they're made to be nearly indestructible, and, and hopefully this one, uh, this one is as well. So that's where things stand with the Lion Air investigation. The reporting around the particular situation of the angle of attack issues, I haven't seen any US carriers uh, say that they've experienced it or any carriers in, in North America. I mean, still looking to see what data might be out there, but it hasn't, you know, come, hasn't been an issue there as well. It would be interesting to see if, you know, Lion Air has experienced this. On other aircraft, they have a have a fleet of ten, seven three seven Max eight. So that would be interesting to see what what if any occurrence outside of this particular aircraft they've they've seen in the past. Yeah, at this point, we don't know if this issue has cropped up in actual flight before. There are quite a number of seven three seven Max out there today, so we just don't know if this has occurred in the past or it has just never occurred before or if, if it has occurred we've either it's never been reported or we've just it's just never made it out to the general public but uh, hopefully they get to the bottom of this real quick and eliminate this pos- uh, potential issue yeah i mean like you said there's a lot out there there's almost 100 in the air right now and over 100 delivered so it's i mean something that could affect not an insignificant number of aircraft. And also, I was reading a bit about the system itself, and it doesn't seem like much of the system or any of the system as far as the angle of attack has been changed. And I want to do more research on this. And if anyone listening has a good source, we would love to dig into this a little bit more. But the system from the NG to the MAX hasn't really changed. So that's definitely something that that is of interest. Right. And one of the things I find most interesting about this is that they're very specific in saying this particular issue can only arise during manual flight. So apparently this is not something that can occur when the aircraft is being flown under autopilot conditions. And I just can't help but wonder why in this particular case with Lion Air, why were they flying the aircraft manually is, is something I hope we find out. Well, if you look at the bulletin, it says that if this problem is occurring, there may be an inability to engage the autopilot. 
Ah, so that may be one issue here, or it may be that you know they were experiencing a number of issues. This was just one of them, and turning the autopilot on was just not something that that happened. I mean, that's pure speculation on my point, uh, on my part about why, and I don't want to go further than that. But I will say that in the bulletin it says that erroneous AOA can cause some or all of the following indications and effects, and one of them includes the inability to engage the autopilot. So there we go. So again, we'll see. And any updates that the NTSB or any other governing agency come up with, we will relay it in future episodes. We certainly will. As always, we're following these closely. And we've mentioned this before. It feels like we're following a lot of these closely these days. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a big change from last year where there were very few incidents this year. It seems anecdotally, at least, to seem like the incident rate is has been unfortunately much higher. Yeah, but like Jason says, we'll watch this closely and report back as we learn more. It, things seem to be moving quickly, but you know it, these investigations always take a lot of time to determine exactly what, what caused the crash and, and how we can prevent it from happening again. In the low-cost transatlantic space, there is news today. Wow. Aha. Yeah, you see what I did there? I do, I do. Iceland Air has announced its intention to purchase all of the shares of Wow Air. Yeah, this came out of nowhere, didn't it? It's not exactly how I assumed it would go. No. I always thought it would be a possibility, but I thought that WoW would be in much worse shape before it happened. Yeah, I mean, WoW, I kind of feel like they were riding the edge of a bubble that was about to burst. That is the super low-cost transatlantic airlines, but I didn't think they were this dire. This was a fire sale. And of course, subject to shareholder approval, but if- it gets approved and probably will. Iceland Air will own WOW, but there will be two separate airlines. Or, well, not two separate airlines, but they will be two separate brands. Cannot imagine that lasting long. That can't possibly last long. Why not? It doesn't make any sense. Iceland Air is already a, a pretty low cost carrier. Why would you want an ultra low cost carrier inside the low cost carrier thing? Does that ever work? I mean, that's a good question, but I will counter with what if Iceland Air wants to move in a more premium direction and having WOW in the stable will allow it to occupy that ultra low cost space. I guess, but the premium isn't really Iceland Air's thing. They, I mean, they're, they're front of the cabin the front of the plane cabin is, is just recliners. It's a premium-ish. Uh, and the fleets are wholly incompatible. Air, um, WOW is strictly Airbus and Iceland Air is strictly Boeing. Uh, one is, Iceland Air is the 757, 776 and 737 MAX now. And WOW Air is A319, 2021 20, and even some Neos and soon, t- and they have a couple 330COs and now Neos even fully painted, ready to go. So they're completely different fleets. Yeah. It's an interesting time. And that's why I think it makes sense to to keep them operating as separate airlines for, you know. But what I'm interested in is is there's been a huge capacity crunch in Reykjavik. You know, ground handling and things like that. That airport is so overburdened, it is unpleasant. So what does that do? I mean, obviously we don't know yet, but my initial thinking, I forget the airline stuff. My my initial thought was what happens to the airport and how does a combined Iceland Air WOW 
can carrier, how does that affect operations at the airport? And it's got to it hopefully improve them somewhat. I guess, but I, I feel like the bubble is bursting and this is the beginning of, of someone throwing an, a dart at the bubble. That This is this is the first sign of, of, of things to come, I think. Well, although I guess Primera was, but Primera was around for so short a period anyway, it's, they're almost irrelevant in this. But Primera is not necessarily irrelevant, but I, I think it's a kind of a, a leading indicator because Primera was around for a very long time. They were, yeah. As like a charter and holiday carrier, and and they were good at what they did. I mean, they were you know around for what fifteen, almost twenty years, in that respect. And then all of a sudden, they jumped into this. Let's do you know ultra low cost transatlantic flights. We'll open a billion pilot bases in you know all around Europe and and in some places in the in North America, and we'll launch a million flights and we'll see which ones stick, and then we'll run those. And that just didn't work for them. I mean, for for a couple of different reasons. Yeah, Wow had a similar but different approach. They started off very very tame. We're going to launch some flights to Newark. We're going to do some flights to Baltimore, and we'll see how it goes. And then they they operated a fairly good operation by the standards of a transatlantic ULCC Norwegian. It ran pretty well. Their flights came in the day they were supposed to, which is. Great compared to Norwegian. But then it seems like towards the end of their life, they just started throwing the dartboard in Kansas City, DFW, Seattle. Sure, let's do all these cities. It'll all work out. It, it was crazy, some of these lots. St. Louis, I think, was one of them. Or are they in and out of St. Louis or Columbus or something? one of those? Some of these routes were absurd. Then they started doing JFK on top of Newark, which means split operations. You have one city, but you have to pay out, pay entire separate operations. And it just didn't make any sense. It was almost like they were trying to burn through as much money as they could, as quickly as they could. I don't think anyone told them that money doesn't have an expiration date. But Yeah, that's true. Maybe theirs does. I don't know how it works in Iceland. I do not either, but we'll, we will find out how it works in Iceland whenever this whole agreement and merge. I mean, it'll be months and months and if not years before we find out whether or not it, it works or not. But yeah. it's interesting nonetheless, as you say, to, to see somebody throwing a dart at the bubble. But I'm sad to see them go. They, they ran a decent operation. They, they, of course, had their hiccups every now and then, like any airline. But this is the end, the beginning of the end, I think, of cheap transatlantic flying with fuel costs increasing, competition exploding themselves. It, we're going to get to the point where when one ultra-low-cost carrier goes out of business and you have to quickly rebook on another one, you're not going to find that $400 last-second ticket over the Atlantic. It's going to be like it was a couple years ago where you're looking at several thousand again, I think. I hope you're wrong. Me too. But I'm not sure you are. Yep. So uh, we'll see if what, what happens with the remaining airlines that are flying transatlantic low cost or if anyone else wants to join the club and try their hand at it like JetBlue has been saying forever. I feel like I'm going to be an old man by the time JetBlue ever flies across the Atlantic. I've said a number of times recently, do it or shut up and stop talking about it. I don't want to hear about it anymore unless you just do it already. (laughs) That's fair enough. So we will shut up about this and wait and see what happens. Istanbul has opened their new airport. Sort of. Kind of. Kind of. Maybe. There are flights. Yeah. My dad asked me about that today. He said, hey, did you hear about Istanbul opening their new airport? I'm like, well, kind of, sort of, one flight, maybe. There's a handful of flights. So the airport was supposed to open at the end of October to traffic, and it did. 
but partial traffic. In this case, it's all Turkish Airlines flights at, at this point. Those are the only flights operating out, and it's not even all of Turkish Airlines flights. It's some Turkish Airlines flights operating to. It's like a tiny minority. Yeah, it's you know a handful per day. So you've got you know domestic operations and, and a few limited international operations as well. So not not a lot, not a lot going on quite yet. But it's supposed to ramp up by the end of the year when all of the scheduled commercial traffic will will move over to the new airport. The new airport will not be known as the new airport. It will be known as the regular airport. And the IATA code, this is not confusing at all. It has an IATA code of ISL right now. When all the operations are done, IST will move over to where ISL is now. Ooh. I don't know what will happen to ISL. And I have no idea what the new IATA code for the current Ataturk Airport will be. I don't know. We'll have to find out when. So the new airport is the the ICAL code is LTFM, which is, you know, nice because that won't change and will always be, you know, the same and we won't have to deal with those codes. LTBA is the old airport or the current airport, which I'm looking at the arrival and departure schedules for both airports right now. And the current airport, not the new airport, is incredibly busy while the new airport is not. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. At least they have plans to do a hard cut over to the new airport, unlike Dubai, where it seems like uh, DWC has been open for years and there's still virtually nothing there. That's because nobody wants to go. I flew out of it once and it was weird and empty. Well, I mean, as far as airlines, I mean, nobody wants to move over there. Right. They're doing it right. They're forcing, well, I mean, Turkish wants to be there, but they're they're migrating everything off. They actually have a plan to do it, unlike in DWC where it's, it's there, but nobody wants to use it. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And we can, uh, there's actually a very detailed, I mean, of course there would have to be, but there's a, a very interesting detailed plan that has been published for how the cutter of will work. And, and we can put a link to that in the show notes, because if you're interested in that sort of thing about how you transfer all of the traffic from one airport to another, all the commercial traffic from one airport to another, then it's some interesting reading. But there's a lot of, they basically limit, they're limiting all of the arrivals and departures from both airports during a particular time of uh, th- the 30th and 31st of December, and they'll kind of ramp back up at the new airport. So th- there could be some effects to, to flights at that time, but it looks like they've really planned things out. So hopefully, once they get the airport open, it will work well. Shall we take a brief break and then talk with Brandon Buzz from Orlando Airport. We should. All right, let's do that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have Brandon Buzz from Orlando Airport, who is the senior social media analyst for the Greater Orlando Airport Authority. And our first question is going to be, what does that mean? And then we're going to talk about airports and social media and how they're trying to make things better for travelers and, and how we are thoroughly enjoying some of the things that we're that they are doing. So we will be right back with Brandon. Stay with us. Welcome back. We are now joined by Brandon Buzz, who is the Senior Social Media Analyst for the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority. That is a title, if I ever heard one. That is a mouth. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to AvTalk. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Really excited to talk with you guys today. 
Yeah, great to finally to talk to you and not uh, Twitter form. Hey, Twitter is perfectly fine with me. I am completely <laughs> fine with that method of communication. We do it all here. It's really all I know. <laughs> it's all I know these days. Yeah, that's fair. So starting with the senior social media analyst title, I would love for you to tell us kind of what it is that, that you do at the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority and what makes the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority greater? Sure. Well, good question. I oversee, obviously, the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority encompasses Orlando International Airport as well as Orlando Executive Airport. And I oversee the social media aspect of both of those uh, airports. Obviously, it's a lot to do. Uh, and uh, with uh, over 46 million passengers that come through every single year for Orlando International Airport and, and quite the business clientele and traffic that comes along Orlando Executive. I have my plate full, but on a daily basis, what I do is I am on the customer service team at the Orlando International Airport um, based over here at the airport itself. And it's a little bit different of a structure than what you would expect from a regular social media professional in an airport. Obviously, many people would expect them to be on public affairs or or on the marketing team, but I actually fall on the customer service side of things. So first and foremost, I'm devoted to the customer care uh, side. So ensuring that our passengers are well taken care of before, during, and post visits for their journey and making sure that along the way we can spark up conversations with them. We can make sure that they, if they have any needs that we're taking care of those. And of course, if they have any reason for complaint, so to speak, obviously uh, we are not uh, short of those. No airport is. Then we do our best to, of course, to address those and get it over to the proper team to, to follow up if necessary. Uh, but beyond that as well, I oversee all the content generation, uh, curation, as well as um, all the content strategy that goes along with all of our channels as well. So all of the videos, all the photos that you see, a lot of it's created and, and taken by myself or a member of my team. I have two on my team. But that's kind of in a nutshell what I oversee on a pretty high level perspective. You mentioned the content creation and that's, I want to jump in a little bit here because one of the reasons that we really wanted to talk to you was that MCO has really jumped in, I I guess we can call it airport Twitter. I mean, that's the hashtag that gets used. Hashtag airport Twitter. Oh, it's real and it's spectacular. This is something that I find fascinating because it kind of spring up around, you guys have been especially involved. I know Vancouver Airport's been involved, Atlanta, Miami, some other airports around the US and some international airports have gotten involved too at various points in time. But I was hoping that you could tell us kind of where this came from and how it, do you see that as a customer? And like, I mean, because you say you're on the, the customer service team. So as an av geek, I get a kick out of it, but I was looking at kind of what else is going on there. Sure. Well, it's really hard to determine and pinpoint where exactly the airport Twitter hashtag and the phenomenon really came from or where it stems from. But I will say that what it has grown to and the monster that we've created as airports, it's it's been a lot of fun to, to be a part of it. And I've taken great pride in being able to kind of be a part of that community. And I never really, up until I got to this position, I never really considered myself a, an av geek at all. Uh, I knew very little about aviation, but in an effort to be able to reach this audience to the best we possibly could, and the best way we possibly could as an airport, you better be sure that I was setting up on aviation-related items, uh, kind of trying to get my airlines down as well as the actual aircraft down, trying to know the, the nuances and, and being able to really touch this audience the best way we could possibly do it. And I will say that it's been exciting, right? So it's been exciting not only from uh, the passenger side, we've seen multiple comments come in about how awesome it is that 
airports are talking to each other and we're really, but I think really what's most important about it is that we're taking the traditional aspect of what people would consider an airport to be and flipping it on its head, right? So a lot of people just considered for a long time airports to just be a place of uh, coming to and, and just leaving from and not really being too much of a personality there behind an airport. But social media has really given us the opportunity to really draw out the personality that's within us and given us a chance and a platform with airport Twitter to be conversing with other airports and to have all of those personalities in, in one place and to be able to have people get excited about that is something that really, I hope, continues to grow, not only from an exposure standpoint, but also from um, the standpoint that we're getting people excited about aviation, whether they are fans or whether they're not so much fans. It's just a, an interesting way to bring people together. I was talking with Ian earlier this week, and basically we said we have to get him to prove that airport Twitter isn't just run by one guy because some of the replies just seem so on point with each other and the conversation just kind of flows so well that we have to be convinced that it's not just you manning all of these airport Twitter accounts. From an Orlando international perspective, I can speak for ourselves and I can say that 100% we're authentic, we're real. Uh, we take every single comment, every single reply very seriously. I will say that uh, we oftentimes think almost too much about our responses to make sure that they're a little bit too perfect. Uh, we're, we're perfectionists in that, in that regard at some point, in, in some cases. But the way that we know a lot of each other in the industry. Our personalities gel really well. Personally, I know a lot of my airport uh, counterparts that are handling social media in, in many areas across the nation and internationally as well. I've met them personally. And it's just a testament to how well the personalities really mesh in an online and in a show, social perspective. It's not something that we plan. Most often, it's not something that's uh, planned. So it's raw and it's real. And I think people really dig it and we're excited about it. Do you think that having this personality all the time helps in certain situations when you need a more professional approach, but people are going to know that because you've been so engaging in the past, they're going to get that you know answer that they're looking for, but they know that they're going to be engaged. Well, I think that there's no doubt about the fact that showing personality on social media and, and having an entity that speaks for itself and that it, I think that that not only works for you positively, but also when things are not so positive, it really works well for you too. Uh, for people to know that there's an actual person behind it, an actual uh, voice and an individual who is taking a great pride in, in putting forth this brand voice, it really shows and humanizes your brand. And, and really helps to come across and building those relationships that are so important, not only when things are positive, but when things are negative too. So those relationships that get made and when people think that there's a person behind it, oftentimes they're probably less likely to go all in, so to speak, when it comes to their complaint. And they may be more willing to work with us. And that's something that uh, we've noticed as well. We always ask people who have you know kind of interesting jobs around the aviation industry, what are some of the kind of strangest things that have come across your desk, either requests or complaints where, where you just didn't quite know what was happening? Uh, you can imagine uh, being on social media and pretty active yourselves. Uh, you can absolutely imagine the types of uh, individuals and complaints and personalities that we see across the board. So I'll let that speak for itself. But uh, one thing that I can uh, think about from, from an airport perspective is just the things that happen at the airport that you absolutely never would expect to happen, not only at an airport, but anywhere. I can speak for 
the Florida uh, effect. And obviously people talk about Florida man and, and things of that nature, but Florida's pretty, <laughs> besides the man itself, Florida's pretty unique about a lot of different things. Uh, one of which is the wildlife. And I'm not sure that if you guys were able to catch it or not, but we recently uh, had a video taken from a passenger who had to have his aircraft uh, kind of halted a little bit on the taxiway. So a friendly alligator could pass by <laughs> the, uh, the taxiway and make its way from one pond to another. So that these are things that you really can't make up and, and are really fortunately for us, it's gold on social media and, and it's really indicative of where we live. And we take advantage of uh, every opportunity to highlight and showcase the little personality quirks that Florida has. Let's put it that way. That's definitely unique. I know JFK in New York has our friendly little turtles that show up on the runway every spring, but Orlando has probably less friendly crocodiles or alligators, whatever they are. That's definitely very unique and very Florida. Yeah, that's definitely Florida for sure. And let's put it this way. They won't bother you if you won't bother them. So, I mean, obviously they noticed a, a very pretty large uh, bird that was right next to them that was uh, wanting to get by and, and they could really care less about it. So it kind of shows you what the personality is like there. But but things like that happen all the time around here. And uh, we like to make the most out of it and try to make light of it where we can. So it's exciting. It sounds like to me that there's a lot of interesting things that kind of come your way, you know, that lend themselves well to social media. But I was wondering about some of the things that you kind of plan ahead for. What are some of the things that, you know, either you're looking out for on a positive or negative side, either way, like a, a new airline or some things like that. The one thing that I was thinking about that, that kind of put what you guys are doing really on my radar was the, I think it was the Virgin six pack. Right. When Virgin Atlantic brought in six, was it six 747s or was it just six flights that day? It was six flights that day. Five of them were 747s. So yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the experience there. And that's something that obviously if we didn't get the help of our partners here internally from marketing and, and public affairs, uh, we work with them very closely and other partners as well. To And I've always been an advocate of, of working internally with all of the teams, uh, you know, being a part of as many conversations as you can, being a part of as many meetings as you can to really get a grasp and, and know what's going on at the airport, not only for you to be able to write it down and keep it on your calendar, but also to keep social media top of mind for when people experience things that are kind of out of the ordinary that would be cool to focus or to highlight on social media. And that's something that I always try to do. Uh, but uh, more from a planning perspective, I uh, work very closely, again, like I mentioned, with marketing and the air service development team to be able to determine little things like this that happen, new routes that are coming on board. Obviously, they have a pretty good handle of that. I'm, I'm involved in conversations with them so that I can get connected with other airlines and their representatives so that we could do the best we can to highlight this event that's coming up. Or in the case of the, the Virgin Six Pack, just working with air service development teams and the data that they have on their end uh, to be able to determine opportunities that we can leverage on a social media perspective. I got to say the picture posted a couple of weeks ago at this point of uh, Richard Bronson dressed up as uh, <laughs> for the 747 flight using the recycled carbon fuel yeah. for, dressed up as, as Doc from Back to the Future still haunts my dreams a little uh, bit. Oh, well, you know, we like to be a little edgy uh, when it comes to that. And we knew that that one wasn't the most... <laughs> It wasn't probably going to be the most friendly uh, picture in the world as far as from a looks perspective, but I'm glad that at least it, it sticks in your mind, whether good, good, bad, or indifferent. We're just happy. It made an impression. There you go. See, that's what we want to hear. <laughs> and then there's uh, yesterday's tweet with the breaking news image, and I'm quoting here, 
Airplanes are helping people explore new and beautiful destinations around the world through an exciting process called flying, in quotes. Big, if true. Is that true? Can you confirm that? Yes. We actually have had multiple accounts come in from other airports, specifically Hmm. confirming that that is the case. So, I mean, it looks like that it's true. Uh, We're still doing our research, but it's huge, if true. People don't often come to this podcast for breaking news, but here we are. Yeah, I see Dulles, uh, Tampa, Milwaukee, a bunch of airports have confirmed that. And Embry-Riddle has has chimed in, which is pretty good. So that's good to know. Well, you know what? That's as good of a source as it's going to get. I think that we've determined (laughs) that it is indeed true. And I would like to thank uh, all of the airports and everyone involved for their investigative journalism. I appreciate that. (laughs) So how is your day to day like? Are you out in the terminal with like the Twitter app on your phone responding to people who, who may send in requests or questions or are you stationed behind TweetDeck in an office? How does it work for you? Because I'm really actually really curious about that. Sure. As a social media pro, you got to be versatile. And we absolutely uh, do our best to be as versatile and as mobile as possible. We understand uh, social media is a 24-7 gig, right? So you never know when you're going to have something come up. You never know when you're going to have a question that you can answer. And and we treat it as such. So as much as I am here at the office looking at uh, my dual monitor setup and having a ton of tabs open with TweetDeck and Sprout Social and everything going on then, if I'm on the, if I'm on the go. I also have those mobile apps ready to go. I've got Twitter, I've got Facebook all in my hands so I can handle and assist with any other issues, questions, anything that I have the opportunity to engage on. Uh, we'd like to take those opportunities. It's something that has worked really well for us is that I think that we are more responsive than the average airport, not only from a reactive standpoint, answering questions and answering and responding to complaints, but also proactively. So when people are reaching out to us with witty or uh, snarky comments, uh, we try to come back with some fun comments and really keep that conversation going. It's good for engagement. It's good for building relationships. And and it's really good to be able to keep our name out there when people think about what's happening. That's great. I wish more airports really followed through with that or more transportation infrastructure in general, because I know there's a uh, a trio of airports in the New York area, which are only monitoring Twitter between 9am and 5pm on weekdays, which as it turns out, isn't when most people fly anyway. So uh, why even bother if you're going to do it that? So I, I really do applaud you for, for kind of going all in on this because you either got to do it right or don't do it at all. There are a lot of airports who are doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there. I mean, in all of us and don't get it. Also, let's put it this way. From when I first started two and a half years ago or so, almost three years now, uh, we've seen uh, or I've seen uh, myself airports really step up their game across the board. So, uh, you know, so kudos to everyone from the airport perspective who are doing uh, all they can uh, to be able to at least get their voice out there uh, from a proactive standpoint, but primarily to be able to assist passengers. And that's what we're all here to do. Jason brings up a good point. And, you know, there are certain airports that are, are doing a, a much better job than others, even though I think across the board, there's at least been kind of a, we're going to try a little bit in the past couple of years. But I want to take that back to, you said you started a few years ago. When you first started, you said you weren't necessarily an av geek and i feel like that's something that you almost have to become you know for the job or at least pretend and i won't fault you if you say you know airplanes still aren't my thing <laughs> but over the you know the past couple of years as you've kind of sensed things growing do you see other airports you know taking 
from what you're doing? Are you taking from what other airports are doing? Are there, are you talking to other airports saying, you know, maybe we should all work towards something or is it still pretty ad hoc at this point? I, I think that other airports and uh, or my our relationship with other airports has is great uh, and and obviously going to different events where we get a chance to or me personally and and obviously my team too we have the opportunity to go to conferences and to meet our I would say they're not our competitors by any stretch of the imagination uh, because we're all looking to do the exact same thing and that's to really help out our passengers to get from point A to point B uh, efficiently and and obviously along the way have. Uh, engaging uh, conversations with them and to be able to ensure that they're they're well taken care of but our relationships with other airports we have co- I have conversations with other airports all the time about strategy and about what they're doing right and, and giving them kudos and vice versa I have received the exact same thing from other airports as well so the relationships are building there and obviously the more that we talk not only from a social standpoint and the more that we actually build those conver- conversations and relationships there we have an opportunity as well as uh, professionals to be able to and really spark up and just really do what we can to better the experience as a whole. So like you mentioned, there has been a shift. And that's something that I've noticed since I've been here, a shift, a momentous shift towards getting the passenger taken care of and at least using social as needing to be on social media, not just necessarily as a, oh, it's nice to be on it, but there's a need there. People are starting to see it. And uh, whether or not they're doing it as a 24-7 or if it's manpower, obviously, with a lot of the smaller airports and things of that nature, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. But it's about getting the buy-in that's necessary to really consider this as an important thing. And that's um, what we've done. Brandon, I want to thank you for joining us today. But before we let you go, we try and ask this of everyone we talk to who has a a pretty cool job. What's the best thing that's ever happened at work or or the the coolest thing or something that's just kind of left you in awe? I won't lie to you guys. I have one of the best gigs going. And and the reason is, is because I have the opportunity to be creative each and every day. My airport leadership believes in this. They actually, I do have buy-in from them. And not only that, but I have the creative freedom to be able to go out into the terminal, take photos, to be able to come up with a copy that I would like, to be able to uh, bounce ideas from different departments and bounce ideas from team to team, and to go out into the airfield and be able to watch planes so close, something that I've never experienced and something that obviously as a kid, you look and you see, oh, you know, you don't really recognize that as something that you would be interested in. Or even if you did, I could never imagine that I would be as up close and personal with a lot of the things that I experience on a daily basis. So for me to be able to have the creative freedom as well as to be able to have all of these cool and new experiences that we get a chance to showcase to our audience and to people who are interested to see more about it. That's for me, that's everything, you know? And also at the same time, if we're answering questions for folks and we're getting them the answers that they need and we're helping them to their journey, that is everything that I could have ever asked for and more. And that's pretty much it for me. Well, if you do ever see the actual real Florida man in the terminal, make make sure to grab a video. (laughs) (laughs) He is everywhere. He is not just a man. He is the myth. He is everywhere. And obviously we've seen many different multiple accounts of that. That's for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. Brandon Buzz, he's the senior social media analyst for the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority. You can find him on Twitter at... MCO. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Perfect. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. You guys take care. Thanks. And we are back live ish. 
We recorded that earlier. Yeah, only like a three-day delay. We knew Jason was going to be in South Africa, so we decided that it would be best not to chance too many microphones that way. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation with Brian. And the things that airport Twitter gets up to sometimes is it's just the right avgeek for the day. Like you're having a bad day and all of a sudden airports yeah. are sharing gifts of animals or whatever. I'm like, okay, I can get behind this. Yeah, run a search for the uh, hashtag airport Twitter on obviously Twitter sometime if you're feeling in need of a good laugh. There's a lot of good stuff there. I like when even the New York airports sort of get in on it, even though they really don't know what they're doing and even they get in on it. It's a good time and most of the time. Let's we'll say that. Most of the time. The A three fifty ULR launched on the Singapore New York route, and that has been going for a couple weeks now. And last weekend, Singapore launched the Singapore LAX route with the A three fifty ULR. And it went great until they tried to go back from Los Angeles back to Singapore. Yeah, whoops. Yeah, and they, they spent some time off the coast of California getting rid of some fuel and then went back to the airport thanks to an oil uh, engine oil indication. The, they cracked open the case, looked inside, fixed the problem, signed off, and they took off again. Man, that's a lot of fuel to dump. A twice inaugural, a dual re-inauguration, shall we say? Yeah, sure. You get two for the price of one. So an already long flight, much longer. Yeah, that's that's not great, but safety first. Safety first, for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what else? Air New Zealand got their first A321neo and wandered through something like 567 different countries to get home from uh, from Hamburg down to New Zealand. Is it there yet? Yeah, no, it got there earlier today. Oh. So uh, it went Hamburg, Muscat, Kuala Lumpur, Cairns, and then down to Auckland. That's good. So it is home. Home, finally. Yeah. This morning at 9.27 UTC. Ah, and have we tracked the first delivery of United 787-10 yet, or is that still in the air? The first United 787-10 goes home on the 6th of November. So by the time this is in in our listeners' ears, yes, we will have tracked it home. I don't know where they're delivering it, though. That's a good question. Uh, it's coming from Charleston, but... Well, it's going from Charleston, but I don't know where they're going to send it. I don't know. I should look in the press release. They usually, from deliveries from the Seattle area, go to SeaTac for uh, induction into the fleets. I don't know out of Charleston, though. They might go to IAD, but they might go to Seattle. I don't know. But this is United's first 7810. They're one of the very first airlines to fly it. Um, they're the first 7810 airline in the Americas. I don't know why the press release states in North America, but I'm pretty sure it's all of the Americas. There's no one in South America operating it. And this also puts United as the only airline in the world operating all three variants of the 787. Which is, I think, the most interesting thing because it lends itself to possibly a photo op down the line. That would be cool. I would love to see. Yeah, not as cool as uh, some airlines that are able to line up the A318 up to the A380, but this is this is cool too. Eh, you know, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. I'm sure they'll maybe actually maybe do that. Yeah, probably not. Timed perfectly for your absence was the uh, Philippine Airlines nonstop from Manila to JFK uh, with their new A350. That flight has been operated at first by a 340-300 and then for the most time, most of the run with a 777-300ER through Vancouver, which was actually a, a nice 
option if you were going New York to Vancouver because you could take Philippine Airlines if you didn't mind the very late arrival into Vancouver. If you do still want to do that, uh, Cathay Pacific actually still operates that route, which is odd. But yeah, uh, the f- nice nonstop for them. I think that's the first time they've been able to do that. Yeah, and they uh, that puts them into the top 10 longest flights list for that that particular flight, the, the nonstop from Manila to, to New York. So that, that's neat. What else happened at JFK when I was away? Kenya launched uh, nonstop Nairobi service. Kenya Airways. That's a pretty cool new nonstop connection to Nairobi. Yeah, that would have been good if it existed like a week prior, because I would have seriously considered flying uh, Kenya via Nairobi down to South Africa. That would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, so now, well, now you can fly it back if uh, if something mm. goes. I, I won't say it. I won't say it. But that's the JFK news in your absence. I am happy Dang. to report. So close. Let us come to the end of the program with a bit of knowledge from Captain Ken Hoke, who is back providing us with a bit of wisdom and he's going to get sloppy and wait what exactly i will let him explain and jason i will be back in just a moment today i'm going to talk about slop what was it we had for dinner tonight well we had a choice steak fish yes yes i remember i had lasagna uh no i'm not talking about airplane food slop is an acronym for strategic lateral offset procedure Air traffic controllers monitor most flights on radar. If an aircraft strays off course or flies at the wrong altitude, controllers can quickly catch and correct the error. Aircraft flying over remote regions, like the ocean, are not in radar contact. Controllers can't see them on radar. The controllers do get regular position reports from these aircraft, but it's not the same as having a live view of the traffic. Errors are extremely rare, but they do happen. Now. Here's a real-life example of a problem that could occur. Two aircraft are eastbound on an oceanic route. The first aircraft is at 33,000 feet. The second aircraft is directly above at 35,000 feet. Due to a miscommunication between air traffic control and the crew, the pilots of the higher aircraft begin to descend to a lower altitude, not realizing there's an aircraft right below them. Could these two aircraft collide? Just a few years ago, oceanic navigation was not precise. The two airplanes in the example would likely have missed one another by several hundred meters. Then came GPS navigation. GPS systems are so accurate that airplanes now fly precisely on the center line of the route. So our two aircraft converging at the same altitude will most certainly be on a collision course. This is called the navigation paradox. It means that increased navigation precision can result in increased collision risk. To mitigate this risk, pilots flying in these remote areas will implement strategic lateral offset procedures, or SLOP. The idea is to randomly distribute traffic laterally across an airway to reduce collision risk. The procedure provides flight crews with three options. They can fly the center line of the route, or... They can choose to fly either one or two miles parallel or offset to the right of the route centerline. Most navigation systems can be programmed to fly a route offset with just a couple of keystrokes. The centerline option is primarily for aircraft with older navigation equipment that are unable to fly an offset. 
Flight crews with newer equipment will randomly choose between the one or two mile write offset. They can flip a coin, or many airlines have a system to randomize. At my airline, if the captain is flying, we offset one mile right of track. If the first officer is flying, we offset two miles. Pilots don't need permission to slop. Once we enter oceanic airspace or a remote region where slop is authorized, we just do it. Slop is so effective at reducing collision risk that it is now a mandatory procedure for aircraft flying the North Atlantic tracks. An added benefit to using slop is that it helps avoid the wake turbulence of an aircraft that would otherwise be flying directly overhead. That gives passengers and the crew a smoother ride. What about TCAS? Isn't that supposed to protect us from collisions? Traffic. Traffic. Climb. Climb now. Climb. Climb now. You might already know that airliners have traffic collision avoidance systems that alert pilots of a potential collision. But TCAS is a last line of defense. We want to do everything possible to avoid getting into a situation that requires TCAS. That's why we take the extra precaution and implement slop when it's authorized. Okay, it's time for me to get back to my slop. I ordered the fish. Now we know what we're up against. Every passenger on this plane will have fish for dinner. We'll become violently ill in the next half hour. And now we know what slop is. Don't we, Jason? Yes, we most certainly do. I love when Ken <laughs> drops some knowledge on us because I don't think there's anyone better out there to explain this complicated stuff than how Ken does it. So professionally sounding, too. Professionally sounding, and he does an excellent job of kind of breaking things down and making it fun, for sure. So hopefully we'll have more in the future from Ken that are just as good, just as entertaining, and just as informative. This pretty much does it for episode 44. Can you believe we've done 44 of these already? I sure can't. All right. Well, we have. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe so that this lands directly into your ears however you listen to podcasts. So you don't have to go and search for it every time we broadcast a new episode, and you can do that. If you're subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and give us a rating and a review. That always helps new people find the podcast. If you've stuck with us for 44 episodes, maybe at this point you're comfortable recommending it to somebody else for the 45th. So go ahead and do that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I am Ian Pechnik, here as always with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you, as always, for listening. Mm-hmm.